Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you? I'm doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am. You know, it's, it's interesting because we can kind of plan all we want, but then something happens like this week and it just changes all of our plans. Yeah, it really Of does. course, this week there's been this, you know, unprecedented leak from the Supreme Court about a case that we discussed. In fact, it was one of your cases when we did our Supreme Court preview back in uh, uh, October before the term began. And uh, that has just absorbed the news. Yeah. And, and not only is the leak unprecedented, but then we have it confirmed by the chief justice that it was indeed legitimate. Yes. Yes. People were wondering if it was a deep fake or something. He, I guess he yeah. felt like he had to come out and say it was a legitimate draft, not a final opinion. Yeah. I mean, that's just bizarre. It's 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 uh, conspiracy theories to uh, any number of things could be talked about for a long time concerning this uh, draft opinion. It's just wild. And it's the abortion case that, as you mentioned, we discussed back in October coming out of Mississippi. Yeah. And I want to get to the left's reaction to this, because let me tell you, if you thought they were mad over Twitter, this set a, a whole new uh, level of angst. Well, we uh, don't talk about Twitter and Elon Musk anymore. No, that's, that's been bounced off the news. <laughs> um, but before before we get to that reaction, let's just talk about the case for a moment. Kind of kind of remind everybody what the case was about out of Mississippi. Well, uh, you jump in when I get it wrong. But uh, the state of Mississippi passed a law that said no uh, no abortions can be form- performed in Mississippi after uh, fifteen weeks of gestation for the uh, the unborn child. Of course, that contravenes the. Uh, the three-part holding in Roe v. Wade, which is otherwise known as the trimester system. The trimester system. But, but you know, it's an interesting decision, and it's a draft. I think it'll be fascinating to see kind of what changes between now and June, assuming that there's still a majority for this. But uh, according to everything that's been said, this is a draft that's been written by Justice Alito. It's pretty lengthy. Uh, but, you know, just in part, one of the things he said, and I think highlighted a couple of sections, was that Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. His reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. And, you know, of course, there's much more in it than that. But I think that kind of sums up where the majority seems to want to come down on this. Yeah, they do. uh, Or it does. You know, there's some speculation early that it was something ranging from a likelihood or a possibility that Chief Justice Roberts was okay with overturning Roe v. Wade in everything but name. In other words, you, you would say Roe is not overturned, but then gut the decision in, in this decision. And I haven't heard any more about that um, since he came out and said that the draft was actually a, a legitimate document. And so I don't know where that stands. You know, the Chief Justice is, seems to be concerned, some might even say overly concerned, with the perception of the court uh, by members of the public. And obviously he is 
attuned to the court's standing, if you will, and, and the respect for the court by the American people. And so he has a concern over um, overturning precedent. Is that fair? Yeah, that's always been one of his things. And I think in some ways it's made the court seem more political instead of less political. And it's probably had the opposite reaction, such as on the Obamacare decision a few years ago, where he pretty much crafted a way to uphold Obamacare by saying it was a permissible tax when Congress had said it wasn't a tax. That's right. And the, and the Solicitor General had said in old argument it wasn't a tax. And he, he just yeah, overlooked so, all that. And when they did oral arguments on this case, Dobbs v. Mississippi, uh, you know, he seemed to be looking for some standard that he could find. But he also seemed to be acknowledging that, yeah, Roe and Casey, they just they're just bad decisions. If, if you're going to be intellectually honest, it's hard to uh, to square Roe with the Constitution um, because it's just made up. I mean, the Constitution is absolutely silent on abortion. Um, it was regulated by the states and they created a, a right out of whole cloth. And I think, you know, you can even be um, an abortion supporter and understand that Roe was simply made up and you know, technology seems to be outpacing the Roe trimester approach. And, you know, there, I think there are like five or seven countries in the world that allow abortions after 20 weeks. And it's like North Korea, you know, sort of the bad guys of the world. I mean, the baddest of the bad uh, and us. I mean, even the Europeans and all their status glory, you know, in the Netherlands and France and Belgium. I mean, in the Netherlands, you can have um, they can euthanize you for depression but you can't abort a fetus uh, after 20, 20 weeks. That's right. The U.S. is one of the most liberal uh, countries in the world from this perspective. Now, you know, in addition to to the substance of the decision, and one thing Alito did was he attacked some of that uh, weakness in the original Roe decision and subsequently in Casey. And he spent a lot of time going through historically. It was not valid. I think it's impossible to believe that the founders, when they drew up the Constitution in 1787, uh, saw this as a natural right, or the uh, drafters of the 14th Amendment in the mid-1800s saw this as something that should be added to the Constitution. But, you know, predictably, the reaction from the left has just been um, amazingly over the top. Here's a, mm -hmm. a kind of a compendium of, of several people talking. If, if this decision holds... It's really quite a radical decision. This is a dark and disturbing morning for America. This is a five alarm fire. We need to get rid of the filibuster and Roe is just exhibit A. Part of this November's election, reproductive rights will be on the ballot. This would appear to be an invitation to have, you know, a Handmaid's Tale type um, anti-feminist uh, uh, regulation. These justices are acting like this is somehow something that they have the right to change. They do not have the right to change this. So that's everywhere from everyone from the president calling it radical to Warren using this as an opportunity to uh, argue that the filibuster should be abolished. And that last voice in there is is Representative Jayapal saying the court has no right to change this. Remarkable, given uh, how many 
cases in American history that everyone would now say were wrongly decided and the court should have changed. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to believe that a, a sitting member of Congress could be so um, ignorant uh, on basic civics. And, and it really reflects poorly on her and her constituents and, frankly, the Congress and, and certainly the Democrats. Uh, I, you know, it's just completely wrong, irrational, and makes no sense. I and mean, there's no way to explain it. Um, I thought, uh, you know, there was there was a lot of um, old video tape floating around uh, subsequent to this, uh, especially after the president made his first statement yesterday and then he made another one today. Um, where he uh, talked about how he would always vote against uh, public financing for abortions and how he thought that uh, abortions ought to be available, but he was against them, kind of was his explanation. And sounds like he was trying to have his cake and eat it too, even back 40 years ago. And then he just, he went off the rails. Uh, he started talking about how uh, this... Um, this decision was going to lead to uh, states uh, passing laws that would prevent what he called LGBTQ students from being in the same classroom with heterosexual students. Not sure where he he gets that from in this in this uh, opinion in this analysis. Um, he he talked about he got it wrong too. He talked about his soliloquy in the board hearings where uh, he, he was engaging uh, then Judge Bork um, about uh, natural rights and how Judge Bork didn't believe in natural rights. And, of course, that's not what Judge Bork said and is not what he believed. But um, And I don't know that Ju uh, President Biden would um, – I don't know that his opinion then on natural rights would be – quite so well received by members of his party today. And he seemed to use that to imply that because one was to use his words, a child of God, you had a right to abort a child. Um, yeah, which, that's uh, remarkable logic, isn't it? Yeah. And, and then he actually said the words, um, I think he did this yesterday. I'm not sure if this was yesterday or today. I think it was yesterday where he said uh, that um, he used the words, uh, the judgment to abort a child. Uh, and, of course, the, the pro-abortion the pro people uh, who want to label themselves pro-choice, uh, they, they prefer to say uh, abortion uh, is of a fetus. Um, they don't like the term uh, unborn child or, or child, of course, because when, when the public, were to th if they were to think about the procedure in those terms, of course, they would be um, against it. So uh, it's a it's really stirred up a, a hornet's nest among the left. There's lots of screaming and chanting and uh, cursing at, at uh, various people. And there have been threats of violence on. I'm sure you've seen them, too, uh, from uh, all sorts on the left towards members of the court. You know, well, let's talk about the leak itself, because, yeah. you know, nothing like this has ever happened. And I have to wonder if this wasn't leaked by some liberal clerk to stir up precisely those threats of violence that you just mentioned to try to intimidate justices, to try to well, make this uh, somehow yeah. a political issue. Right. And, and try to try to cause uh, at least one or more to um, perhaps change in a, a position or, or moderate a position. Uh, I think there's no question that it was orchestrated. I mean, there's no way that the barriers at the Supreme Court went up that quickly. 
There's no way that all these Democrats prepared and had prepared statements ready to go that use the same sort of language. Um, and, and so quickly in response to this unprecedented leak um, by someone with access to draft opinions in the in the Supreme Court. And, there, you know, there are very few of those people. I think they're they said there was what is it? Um, there's 36 clerks plus nine justices. And then I'm sure there's a few more, um, but it's not a, it's not a huge pool of folks. We've seen some speculation on the internet as to named people, and I don't think that's fair to just pick out someone and say this person must have done it because he or she is a particularly outspoken liberal. Um, but uh, you know, I don't think it's a crime. I think it violates the rules of the court. I think it's the kind of thing that could get you in trouble professionally. It's certainly the kind of thing that could get you fired. And I guess if, if they're going to have the FBI investigate, so they must not want really to find out who it was. Um, but uh, I guess if you lie to the FBI about it, you could you could turn it into a criminal situation. So that's a crime. I did see some speculation. That maybe the solution would be if to call all the clerks and other folks into a room and say, if you did it, tell me who, who did it. And if nobody raises their hand, then they're all fired. Um, that won't happen because who would then write the opinions and do the research between now and the end of June? But, um, you know, it's troubling. It, it, it calls the court's. Um, you know, aura or mystique into question. Um, you know, even for those who don't hold it in high esteem, it still has its ways, and its ways were pretty staid and pretty, pretty consistent through um, the decades, and now it's gone. And, and there is a very practical reason why these types of things should not come out because it is still within the deliberative process. The way it works in the That's court has right. been written about is that. Uh, they'll take an initial vote after oral arguments, uh, but then someone's assigned to draft an opinion and then they weigh in on that. They lobby each other for votes. And, you know, there's stories out there about that happening. So uh, the idea that, you know, something like this gets exposed while they're still considering it and perhaps firming up various positions and rewriting opinions and concurring and dissenting opinions, that's just wrong. Let's assume as it would not be at all be surprising if Justice Alito uh, could not get uh, five to join in all parts of his opinion. So if that happens, it, you know, people are going to wonder, did, did, did this leak intimidate one or more justices who might otherwise have joined from, from joining a particular part? Um, and of course, you know, it could be one of these, not unlike Roe, where you have to go, almost cut and paste the paragraphs and count the noses for each one to figure out where the writer is speaking for a plurality and where he's speaking for a majority. Uh, and, and then of course, if it's not a majority, does it quite have the same force as it would if it was six, three or five, four? Um, and, and uh, well, at that you know, point, people just, start trying to figure great. out what the rule actually is. Well, that too, that too. You wonder what, what, some some of our more um, activist courts of appeal might do if if there's not really a majority for uh, actually overturning Roe, you know, are they going to ignore it and say, well, you know, as far as we care, Roe's still good law. I think it's be interesting to compare this draft decision and what the final decision is. Yeah, uh, even assuming the vote's the same, 
The other case I thought that was interesting that came out earlier this week from the, from the Supreme Court is called Short Left v. City of Boston. Uh, and it kind of odd facts, but it's a First Amendment case. And apparently at the um, Boston City Hall, they've got three flagpoles. And one flagpole flies the U.S. flag. One flagpole flies the Massachusetts Commonwealth flag. And then the other one typically flies the city of Boston flag. But they let people have, uh, I guess I'll just say demonstrations, events, maybe a better word, on the grounds. And at that time, they get to decide what that group gets to decide what flag replaces the city of Boston flag. And it's happened you know, several hundred times they've flown flags from foreign countries. They've flown the gay pride flag, various special interest flags. Well, in 2017, the issue came up with a Christian organization that wanted to fly the Christian flag there. And the director of public facilities said, nope, he was concerned that that would get them into trouble. So they refused. The first time they refused to let somebody fly a flag, it was a Christian flag. And that got to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court on Monday of this week said, no, absolutely, that's not that's not right. You can't do that. That's a violation of First Amendment protections. Uh, tell us what you thought about and, that. And what was the vote? I think it was 9-0. The, the court was united. And, and you know, despite the concern, and, and certainly the court is divided politically, but despite the concern about the division among the justices, there are still a lot of Unanimous opinions. There's still a lot of opinions that are you know, more than just five four. But I, you know, I, I, I think some people took some solace um, in the fact that this opinion was nine zero, uh, and it was written by Justice Breyer, the departing right. Justice Breyer, and one of the most liberal members of the court. Go ahead. Yeah, I just I just wanted to read you one little part of the decision uh, near the beginning, and I don't know uh, why I found this so interesting, but he wrote. Built in the late 1960s, Boston City Hall Boston City Hall is a raw concrete structure, an example of the brutalist style. Critics of the day heralded it as a public building that articulates its functions with strength, dignity, grace, and even glamour. <laughs> and, and then at some point he seemed to kind of realize that wasn't really relevant, so he turned back to the case. But I, I found it interesting that he had to discuss the uh, – uh, the the style of the Boston City Hall, yeah, and of course the 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 city council, for lack of a better term, I don't know what they call it in uh, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, but you know they could they could they could uh, avoid all all of this by simply saying that henceforth the Red Sox flag is going to fly at City Hall. Who could argue with that? And nobody up there would argue. That's for sure. Or, or they could say we never take down the city of Boston flag. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a really interesting First Amendment case. Um, you know, they made a distinction between the establishment of religion and the right to free exercise of religion and, and ultimately ruled that this is a free exercise case. Yeah, and I, I mean, really and truly free exercise trumps the government. Not allowing someone to exercise religion gets real close to the establishment or Disestablishment. Yeah, and in many ways, that's at the heart of why some of the people came to America who came to America. Pilgrims, perhaps. Perhaps so. So it's been an interesting week at the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, the last thing I wanted to mention in terms of court news is 
Uh, we talked about the arguments before about the Remain in Mexico policy. Uh, well, the, the, on Monday, the Supreme Court, is, which is already considering that case, ordered the parties to file supplemental briefs on several subjects, um, one of which is whether the court has jurisdiction to hear the merits of the case. So uh, those have to be filed by May 13th. And, um, of course, you know, the clock is ticking for a decision on all the cases the court's heard. The other big news was the uh, primaries in Ohio last night. Do you have any thoughts about that, Lee? Uh, I do. Um, I guess a couple of things. Uh, I want to make sure I get it right because I don't want to be like President Trump and get the name all screwed up. But J.D. Vance, who was a an outspoken never-Trumper in 16, has uh, seen the light, so to speak, and become uh, an avowed disciple of the Trump um, policy uh, or policies and received an endorsement back uh, the 15th, I think, of April from the 45th president. And his polling numbers went from about 10, maybe 7, 10 percent to uh, a victory last night. Um, uh, and that was a surprise to a lot of people. Trump endorsed 12 folks and they all won. That's what I've heard. Every uh, candidate and- he, he endorsed in Ohio won. Yeah, and that that's uh, I mean, that's a lot. Uh, there was a candidate uh, for uh, Congress. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which district, but it's a it's one of the bigger cities. It's wherever Geraldo lives. He, she's his congressman. But uh, there were two two females running for that seat, both Democrats or, uh, for the nomination, and the moderate Democrat uh, defeated the more left leftist Democrat. The more leftist Democrat was endorsed by AOC. And um, that is interesting because it makes you wonder, is there some Trump effect even in the Democrat primary? Yeah. Um, and, and and Tim Ryan won the Democrat nomination for the uh, Rob Portman seat, which is so now he's going to run against J.D. Vance in the in the general election in the fall. Um, and Tim Ryan is not a fire breathing liberal. I mean, he's a he's a Democrat and he's 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 liberal, but he's not off the main path, liberal. Yeah, and just to go back to the Senate race for a moment, if, if anyone's not familiar with J.D. Vance's personal story, it's fascinating. He, uh, of course, kind of got some fame when he wrote the book Hillbilly Elegy, and that was made into a movie. Uh, but he grew up in very poor circumstances in Appalachia, uh, joined the Marine Corps, uh, kind of worked his way up, uh, ultimately graduated from, I believe it was Yale Law School, and moved into that world of, of the law. And as you said, was not a Trump supporter uh, a few years ago, but his mind was changed over time or, or you know, for whatever reason, uh, he got the, the Trump endorsement. So it's, it's a remarkable story. Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, he's even gone so far as to grow a beard. It's almost like the Lincoln thing where folks said you, you don't look like what you should look like if you're going to run for statewide office. And he grew right. a beard and, you know, uh, like I said, in the last uh, few weeks, he went from, you know, running a distant third to, to winning the race. Um, and, there, you know, he had several opponents and they sort of took it on the chin. I mean, he, he uh, it wasn't like they went out and found new voters. He, he took voters from them. And, uh, you know, I think he's a formidable candidate because of the way he's able to, to talk. Uh, not that Tim Ryan's not, but as you said, um, you know he's got a Yale degree, but he can he can talk about growing up 
destitute in Appalachia, which, you know, um, poverty there is different than poverty most places. Is that fair yeah, to say? Very true. That's very fair to say. And, you know, the last point I'll just throw out there is you mentioned the 12 candidates Trump had endorsed in Ohio. I saw somewhere earlier today, I think it was the Cook Political Report, who worked up the numbers and said Trump had endorsed 52 candidates so far that had uh, stood for election. And every one of those candidates had either won or was in a, a, a runoff race. Wow. Kind of a remarkable uh, sense of, uh, of uh, sway by the uh, former president. What's on your radar this week? Just this Supreme court stuff. It's, um, you know, I I think unfortunately we we're we're looking at potentially a return to the spring and summer of 2020 uh, with regard to demonstrations and, and and riots. I hope not, but I, 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 I've seen too many calls for this uh, for such over the, uh, last uh, 48 hours or so to think that it, it's just going to die away. Well, interesting. I, I, that, I had not thought of it as returning to what we saw in 2020, but uh, I guess that remains to be seen. I, I was going to say, I, I think there's to some extent, uh, uh, you know, Ken, it's a conspiracy theory, but I think there's a, there's going to be an effort to, to, to push the mail-in ballots again this time. And, and, you know, whether it's a, a disease or a, riots or, or whatever. I think, I think that's going to happen. And, you know, you can make a, yeah. a jump to say that the, this, the orchestration of this was, was in part uh, to, to, to provide uh, uh, an excuse, if you will, for that. Or an equity issue. We have to have equity. So we'll have everybody mail in balance. I, I agree with that's you right. that uh, right. that was successful for the left in 2020. So I can see that pushing that again. One thing I want to mention real quick is I forgot to say this, but on the um, the Boston flag case that we talked about a moment ago, mm-hmm. I read late this afternoon that a satanic group has already submitted the request to fly their flag for an event. Of course they have. Of course they have. <laughs> What's on your radar? Yeah, the other story, which I think uh, I still want to watch, and I mentioned it last week as something that hadn't gotten attention yet, but I thought would, was this disinformation board uh, that Department of Homeland Security is setting up. And it really was picking up steam and getting a lot of attention this week before what happened with the Supreme Court. I don't think that story's gone. Uh, I no. think as these weird videos that have come out from the new director of that board. Uh, more and more of those surface. I think it just really looks like a political operation. I, I agree with you. She made her TikTok page or whatever you call it private yesterday, and and I I, I think it's going to continue. You know, she's eight months pregnant, and uh, I would not be surprised that's not used as an excuse to just shut this down at least until the midterms are over um, as a, as a means to stop the political bleeding and, and perhaps even wait till Biden is, if he's fortunate enough to win a second term, I think it's a disaster for him, for the Democrats. If they continue to, to push that aside from her loony, loony takes on things and her desire to sing about them. Did John Foster Dulles ever sing about foreign policy 
I guess it's just a shame we didn't have TikTok then. Yeah. Um, Elohi Root or somebody. Uh, <laughs> be that as it may. And that and Ukraine, I think, continues to uh, you know simmer yeah, there I, as a let, let, situation. Let, let me, let me kind of interrupt you. What in the world is the Pope suggesting that NATO uh, instigated this war between Russia and Ukraine. Why would he do that? That's a good question. I can't explain why he would interject himself in that way or what he even meant to say, assuming that he was misquoted. And I don't know that he was. I'm not suggesting it, but... Uh, this the story is, and you know, I found this in the Wall Street Journal. It's probably come from other sources, but apparently, in an interview, he was quoted as saying something to the effect that, "quote NATO was barking at Russia's gate," end quote, which had caused Mr. Putin to invade his neighbor. I, I can't, I can't figure any justification for that. And and then. He doubled down and said he was not going to Ukraine first. He had to go to Russia and talk to Mr. Putin. Yeah, that didn't look uh, too good either. No. I, I don't know what that's about. Bizarre. He's done some things that um, some folks have trouble understanding. Yeah, he's definitely a different kind of pope. And uh, I will say that many of the stories about things he said in the past uh, kind of felt like media overreach once you saw the full story. And I don't know mm-hmm. that this will or not, but some of the stories about he supports this or that progressive agenda items, his his statements in full were always a little more nuanced than the media might have at first uh, reported. Let me put it that way. Right. Have you ever seen the movie, The Two Popes? I've never seen that. That's the documentary about him. And No, no, this Francis is an actual movie. movie. This is an oh, movie. I recall that. Anthony yeah, Hopkins. It was like, yeah, Anthony um, Hopkins played one of them. It's a, it's a, it's it has a um, has a bent to it that you know is is not the one that I would have, but it is a very well done movie. I enjoyed it. Okay, well, we can add that to the list then. <laughs> now, you got anything else for tonight? No, I'm good. Okay. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe with your podcast provider and leave us a review. 